Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to see so many of you in all your different colors and shades. <laughs> Who is here for the first time? Wow, there's a lot of you. Can we give them a round of applause? I hope you feel welcome. So Riverside has five churches in Portugal, and one of them is pastored by my parents in Riverside, Cascais. That's kind of like the mother church. And every time my dad has this thing that he just won't stop doing, that every Sunday they'll ask who's here for the first time, and they'll go one by one. And where are you from? And tell us about you. And we would just not leave here if I was to do that here. And plus my dad, that's his like stand-up comedian moment where he's like, where are you from? And you'll say your country, and he'll crack a joke about it. And I'm, I don't have that kind of skill, so <laughs> so just feel welcome wherever you are from. I hope that uh, you feel home here, and um, and as Pedro prayed, I pray that God will bless us this morning and speak to us this morning. I was speaking to a friend of mine on Friday, and um, and we were asking each other, how was your week? And we like to rate our weeks, so how was your week from a one to a ten? Give me a number. And she was like a five. I was like a solid six, <laughs> and, uh, and we like to rate our weeks just because, you know, if you ask somebody, how are you, how was your week, they'll give you the standard, busy, what does that even mean? And so we like to rate it, just give me a number, and then we can unpack that. And so it was a five, it was a six, it was kind of not a bad week, but also not an extraordinary week, just kind of normal routine. Um, but we entered the week on a high. If you were here last Sunday, I was so inspired by Dina's message that he brought to us. He preached a powerful message on Isaiah chapter 6 of this vision that the prophet Isaiah has, and he has this encounter with the glory and with the holiness of God. And Dina was explaining to us how, you know, this famous verse that we read in Isaiah where he comes to a point of, here I am send me. And he says, you, you can't get to a point of surrender if you haven't had the encounter, if you haven't understood just the weight of God's glory and how great he is and how small we are. And that's what gets Isaiah to a point of surrender. And I, I love a good expository message, you know, where you get into some deep theology and you're able to apply it to everyday life. And I loved how Dina, he challenged us at the end of his message to ask God for this encounter. Don't just go through life. Don't just come to church on Sunday or to life group on Wednesday, but really ask God, I want to encounter you. I want to reach this point of surrender. I want to see your glory. I want to see your holiness. And I, I love that. And so as I prepared my message for this Sunday, and I thought, here I go. I'm going to hop on the deep theological expository train, and I'm going to talk about the prophet Elijah. Because if there is someone that encountered the power of God, it is this guy. He was bold. He was courageous. He had faith like no other. I mean, this guy, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. Talk about a powerful prayer. And, and then he has the courage and the boldness to dare 450 prophets of Baal to a fire challenge. Like he literally says, okay, you guys, you set up your altar, 450, all of you, and, and I'll just be over here and I'll set up my altar. And the first God to send down fire is a real God. Ready? One, two, three. Ready, set, go. 
And, and they start dancing and praying and singing and chanting. And he's kind of even teasing them like, you want to dance some more? You want to sing some more? And they're gods. Obviously, nothing happens. There's no fire. Nothing happens. And then he prays the simple prayer and fire from heaven comes and just burns up the whole altar. Talk about experiencing the power of God. And so as I studied, I thought, we need to talk about this guy. Because just a few chapters later, because of this situation where he's just proven to the whole nation that God is who he says he is, that he is the one and true God. Next thing you see just a few chapters later that Elijah is sitting under a tree begging God to die. Like he's exhausted. He's tired. And so I studied and I thought, man, I'm going to preach a message. What happens when you have experienced the hand of God? Where you said, here I am, send me. And he sent you. And next thing you find yourself sitting under a tree, exhausted and tired. What happens when you encounter God and you know that he is Lord, but your circumstances just don't seem to reveal his character and don't seem to reveal his faithfulness? What happens when you're just tired? And you just, your prayer is, God, I, I can't do this anymore. Well, we'll have to wait for that message. Because that is not <laughs> what God had for us today. <laughs> I prayed and I studied and the Lord led me to a completely different topic. Today we're not going to talk about Isaiah or the prophet Elijah. We're not going to go into deep theological expositions. We're going to talk about, wait for it friends. <laughs> We're going to talk about friendships this morning. <laughs> and um, I literally, I insisted, I thought, no God, like I'm going to follow up. I'm going to trump what Dina did last week. I'm really going to get into this. And God was like, no, we're going to talk about friends this morning. And if you have friends, this message is for you. And if you want to have friends, this message is for you. Because the truth is that we all long for friendship. We were made in the image of friendship. We know that our God is three in one. He is, he is relational in his essence. And he didn't create us because he lacked something. He didn't create us because he needed something. He created us so that we might have the privilege of having communion with him. That we might have the privilege of being a friend of God. In Genesis 2.18, we see that after God had created everything and was satisfied with all that he had done, there was only one thing missing. It was not good for a man to be alone. And so he created Eve. Now we usually see this scripture when we're referring to marriage, right? Everybody, you've heard weddings. We talk about that passage. And while we do learn valuable insights about the beauty of marriage, the creation of woman cannot be reduced to a romantic relationship. God created us for friendship with him and with one another. And let me be more specific. God created us for intimate friendship with him and intimate friendship with one another. And the world around us often tries to limit intimacy to romantic relationships. We, we're constantly overemphasizing romantic relationships. But, but here's the thing. You can be intimate without being sexual. And you can be sexual without being intimate. Intimate friendship is not only possible, but it's what we were made for. We all long for intimacy. The intimacy that we were created for, we long for connection. 
When my girls were born, I have a daughter age three and a daughter age one, and I clearly remember the very long, long, long hours of labor. And when they came into the world, they began to cry, each of them. And I remember this moment like it was yesterday, and the only thing that would soothe them was when the nurse finally put each of them on my chest, and they just stopped crying because we were born for that connection. We long for that intimacy. As humans, we've been wired for intimacy. And so whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, if you know me for about two minutes, you know that I'm an extrovert. I'm a hardcore extrovert. (laughs) If I'm sick, I want to be with people. If I'm down, I want to be with people. Something is seriously wrong if I don't want to be with people. But maybe you're not an extrovert. Maybe you're an introvert and you get your energy from being alone and Lisa's looking at me. <laughs> You'd think she's an extrovert, but apparently she's an introvert. She, if you get your energy from just being alone and, and praying and listening to music or walking on the beach by yourself, but whether you're one or the other or something in between, you long and you were created to long for intimate friendships. We live in a time where the word friend is so misused that it has an overuse, that it has become superficial and almost just cheap. Most of you have over 1,000 friends on Facebook if you still use it. We're more connected to people than ever, people that we easily call friends. The average WhatsApp user, I was interested in this because I'm on WhatsApp a lot, connecting a lot, and the average WhatsApp user spends about 38 minutes a day talking to friends. And yet studies show that people feel lonelier than ever. And maybe you can relate this morning. The average person reports to having only one to three close friends. And maybe you're here this morning in a room full of people and you feel completely alone. Like there is no one you can go to. Like there is no one you can truly just be yourself to. You see, what happened was that God created us for friendship with him and with each other, but sin enters the world and our relationships become broken. And the first thing that happens after the fall is that Adam and Eve, they they hide from God and they cover themselves in fig leaves, now hiding the parts of themselves that they feel they can no longer reveal before one another. And fast forward thousands of years to October 2022, And you see a society hiding from God and hiding from one another. Now revealing only the parts of ourselves that that portray beauty and strength. And hiding everything else that would expose who we truly are. Because the fear is that who we truly are might never be loved. And so before I get any further in this message, I want to give you some good news this morning. God loves you for who you truly are. All of you, every part of you. He knows all about you. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows the things that you've done. He knows the things that you're yet to do. He knows the things you would never even utter out loud. He knows all about it and still he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave up his life for you. Jesus says in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He is your friend. You don't have to hide from him anymore. He knows all about you and he loves you. 
So going back to this week, as I insisted on the prophet Elijah message, God brought me to Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. How many of you can say that you have a friend that has loved you at all times? Like loved you when you started taking your first steps like Cohen and Sky, Or loved you when, when it was your first day at school and you were so nervous? Who loved you when you had your first crush and they were the one that you could tell? Who loved you, and I'm, guys, just cover your ears for a little bit. Who loved you, ladies, when you got your period for the first time? And I'm sorry, this is maybe not what you want to think about on a Sunday morning, but it's a big moment, and you need a good friend. Can you think of a friend who was there when you were deciding what to study, or when you were going through the pressure of exams and group projects? Group projects are just the worst. Everybody agree with me? Yes, amen. Who was there for you in that stress? A friend who was there when you started dating your boyfriend or your girlfriend. A friend who was there when that relationship didn't work out and the other relationship also didn't work out. A friend who stood beside you as your bridesmaid, as your groomsman when you committed yourself in marriage. The friend that was closer than a brother when you lost a loved one. When nothing at work was going right. When the friend who held you as you cried. The friend who laughed with you as you celebrated another year of life and who who celebrated with you when you got that promotion that you worked so hard for. And maybe as I mention these different moments and seasons of life, you've been thinking of different friends that come to your mind and to your heart. Personally, I don't have a childhood friend. I grew up in an international environment, and so it was a known fact that when you Meet it, when you met someone, that friendship would last about two to three years before that person would pack their bags and go off somewhere else. And you'd say, you know, you'd say, we're going to keep in touch and we'll visit one another, even if they're going to China and I'm still in Portugal, but somehow we're going to visit one another. But eventually, you know, things aren't as they used to be. Communication dwindles and the relationship just changes, even though I still hold very dear to me some of these friendships. But the point is that as we go through life, Life is meant to be shared, and we need friends. But not just any friends. The Bible holds a very high regard of friendships because friends, your friends, have the power to transform the course of your life. From the biggest life-changing moments where you have to make life-changing decisions to just the routine habits that make up just the daily fabric of your character... The influence that your friends exert over you, consciously or unconsciously, can have a massive impact in the way, in the manner in which you live your life. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We're called to be intentional in our friendships. Why? The next chapter tells us what happens if we're not. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Notice how you don't have to be a fool to suffer harm. You just have to hang out with them. And so if we were created for intimate friendships and friends have a huge role to play in our lives, then what does a godly friendship even look like? What's the purpose of a godly friendship? And maybe the question that you're all asking, how do I get me some godly friends? 
So what is the purpose of a godly friendship? Kelly Needham, she says, the essence of Christian friendships is companionship forged in the fire of two convictions. Jesus alone can satisfy the soul and his kingdom alone is worth living for. She's saying godly friendship is when two people are bonded together and journey together on the foundation of these two convictions that Jesus alone is, is worthy, that Jesus alone can satisfy the soul and that his kingdom is worthy of your life. It's basically when two people have had an Isaiah 6 kind of moment where we've encountered God. We've seen the holiness of God. We've seen the glory of God. We've seen how undeserving we are and we've decided to follow Jesus. We've committed our lives to follow him and to please him and to glorify his name. And so John Piper says that a godly friend is someone that will say something to help you keep believing. Someone that will say something to help you keep believing. Keep believing that God is holy. Keep believing that God is enough. That he is worthy of it all. That he has forgiven you. That he has called you. And that he does love you. Paul writes in Hebrews, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, exhort one another every day. Not once a week when you see each other at life group. Not every now and again when you see somebody at church. He says, every day encourage each other. In other translations, it says, every day warn each other. Why? Because every day we're lied to. Every day our thoughts are lying to us, saying that, that we're not enough, and we battle within ourselves, saying that all kinds of accusations from the enemy of everything you've done and everything that you are not. Every day we see lies involving money, power, and sex. We're lied to by consumeristic advertisement, by false promises of pleasure in the entertainment industry. We're lied to by imperfect and sinful people in our lives. And so we need friends whose voices are louder than the lies. Friends who encourage us to keep believing. So that when I am tempted with the idea that something in this world is better than God. And when I am tempted to pursue something pleasurable or something temporary in this world. Instead of the will of God or above the presence of God. A friend will come and shake me and say, no, keep believing. Keep believing that he is holy. Keep believing that he is worthy of it all. Keep believing that he is so good. And that he loves you. And that he's created for you. And that he has a plan and a purpose for you. A friend's voice will be louder than the lies and we're encouraged to to encourage each other every day the greatest danger to our souls is that we will abandon following christ and finding our joy in him and so the greatest gift that a friend can give you is a commitment to fight for your relationship with christ the greatest gift that a friend can give you is a commitment to say, I will do whatever it takes. I will say whatever it takes so that you may keep finding your joy in Jesus. Godly friends will help us pursue God's heart by pursuing him with us. So often we go to God asking him for friends or spouses or kids to enjoy. And then when God gives us those blessings, we kind of Thank you, see you later. And we go and we enjoy these friendships when actually we should be doing the opposite. 
We should be looking for God in other people. Kelly Needham, she says again, ironically, we will enjoy our friends more the more our friendships become a means of enjoying God. Now here's the thing, and, and, and I want to be clear this morning. You can and you should be friends with unbelievers. We had a girl in the church one time years and years ago that was feeling really, really lonely. And I said, well, why don't you hang out with people at work or go for coffee, go for drinks? And she said, no, because they're non-Christians. And I only want to hang out with Christians. This is totally against the gospel. I mean, Jesus comes to earth and, and he hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with unbelievers. He spends most of his time creating and building friendships with unbelievers. You should. You should. And many, some, some of you have these friendships in your lives and you're thinking of strong, great friendships you have with unbelievers. And sometimes it is by being a godly friend, by showing the patience, the mercy, the grace, the faithfulness of Christ to unbelievers, that they will see the friendship of Christ. That they will see who God is. Sometimes it is through friendship with an unbeliever that they will be saved by seeing your faithfulness. What I am saying is that there is a dimension of intimacy and purpose that you will only ever find in friendships built on the foundation of Jesus, and you need those too. Jesus himself was constantly surrounded by people, but we see a special friendship with the 12 that he called. And even within this group of 12 men, we see that he had a more intimate friendship with Peter, James, and John. And so some of you are listening and thinking of someone who represents this godly friend in your life. Others are listening and thinking, man, I want that in my life. How do I get me a friend like that? There's two steps. One is quite simple, the other one not so much. First step, ask God for a godly friend. Pray to him, ask him, God, I really want a friend like this in my life. And two not so easy. Be a godly friend. Start by being a godly friend. So how can you be a godly friend? Here's three ways I want to encourage you to be a godly friend this morning. Every Monday evening we do prayer and then we do something called Unpacking Sunday. We, we really just go through and we comment on what, what we heard and we encourage each other with the message that we heard because we don't want to just listen to a Sunday message and forget about it. We want to really apply it to our lives. And so if you're taking notes, take some notes, write some questions and join us tomorrow night as we really go through this message. But here's three ways that I want to encourage you to be a godly friend. Number one, drop the act. We live in a filtered society where thanks to social media and technology, we evaluate the expectations that others have of us and we carefully design an image of ourselves that we think will please the crowds. We think through the photos that we're going to post on social media. We dress a certain way in certain environments. We talk a certain way. Some people will even adapt their accent depending on who they're talking to. We hate talking on the phone. Anyone agree with me? All my millennials. We hate talking on the phone. Like, text me all you want. Send me voice notes. But don't call me, especially if it's not a scheduled call. I was interested in this, and in the UK, they did a study on office workers and found that 76% of millennials get anxious when the phone rings. 
It's about 40% in baby boomers. So there's still some of you that don't like phone calls. And because of this, 61% of millennials will just avoid the call. Have you done that? <laughs> just send a message, I'm busy, but what do you need? <laughs> and why is this? Because real-time conversation has become too risky. One of the reasons. Real-time conversation has become too risky. We become vulnerable on the phone. We become vulnerable in real-time conversation where we're less predictable and we're less guarded. We much prefer the online version of ourselves where we can hide our imperfections and we have time to carefully craft each answer, each response, where we can carefully think through whatever we will portray of ourselves so that we are nothing less than perfect. How many of you have started writing a message on WhatsApp or an email and taken at least two hours before you actually send it? Like you write it and then you'll think about it and then you'll edit it some more and then you'll think some more and then maybe let me switch this emoji. No emojis. It's but no, that's too harsh. Let me add some emojis. Because we, we need to craft ourselves in a way that we will be received just the way that we want to be seen. And some of you don't do social media or don't do texting and you're like, that's so not me. I'm so much above everybody else. <laughs> but you also don't do one-to-one -one conversations. They make you just as uncomfortable. You'll do sports and, and you'll hang out with people. You'll have a coffee or a beer. But one-to-one but -one conversations make you just as uncomfortable. Justin Early, he says, the practice of conversation is the basis of friendship because it is in conversation that we become exposed to each other. Real friends, godly friends, drop the act. Real friends talk. They don't just message. They don't just comment. They have face-to-face -face conversations. They make time to talk. I'm reading a book called Habits of Purpose in an Age of Distraction, and the author, he recommends, he encourages us to take one hour a week to talk to a friend. An hour where you are willing to expose yourself just by being yourself. Bring your mannerisms and your questionable humor and your potentially awkward body language and your accent and your English that isn't perfect or your Spanish or whatever you need to talk to your friends. Bring all of you to the table because godly friendship is being known by someone else and loved anyway. Godly friendship is being known by someone else and loved anyway. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. A godly friend has experienced the grace of God and loves others with that same grace. We just sang, God, you know me. You know all of me. You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. A godly friend will exemplify that friendship and that love. When was the last time that you had a conversation with a friend? Not a whole group, not a crowd, not an event, but just a one-to-one -one conversation with a friend. When was the last time that you dropped the act? Number two, how can you be a godly friend? Confess. 
Now, this is a hard one because the world doesn't want to see your weakness or your failure. And this one is kind of in line with the first point, but here we go a little deeper. Have you ever had this thought in your mind? What would they think of me if they truly knew me? Because you can have an hour conversation with a friend. You can have 10 years of conversation with a friend and never touch the one thing that's eating you up inside. Never touch the one thing that nobody else knows about. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When was the last time that you were open with a friend? When was the last time that you let a brother or a sister in Christ know about your struggle with sin? Craig Rochelle, he says that you may impress others with your strengths, but you connect in your weakness. You may impress others with your strengths, but it is in your weakness that you connect and that you build that intimacy. A godly friend will confess their sins because what they value most is not the approval of man. It's not to be accepted by man, but what they value is reconciliation with Christ and with his body. What they value is knowing that in our weakness, he is made strong. And that as I admit in humility that I am imperfect, my God will be glorified, the only one who is perfect. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. A godly friend will listen to someone's struggle and instead of judgment, they will pour grace and mercy over them. Where the world would discard you and disqualify you, a godly friend will embrace you and pour out the same mercy that they themselves have received from God. According to James 5.16, godly friendship is the road to healing. When was the last time you confessed your sin to a friend? And are you the kind of friend that someone trusts to confess their sin to? Are you merciful? Are you gracious? Are you kind? Are you compassionate? And number three, it's only getting harder, guys. Number three, choose the cross. One night in Matthew 16, Jesus is hanging out with his friends. uh, When he starts and begins to share that he will die and that he will be raised again. And suddenly Peter, Jesus' BFF, like he's going to be there in the long run. He, He stands up and he rebukes Jesus with what would have been a good intention from a very loyal friend. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, Peter seems genuine. He seems like the kind of friend you would want to have around you. Like he's looking out for Jesus' safety. And yet Jesus turns to him and says one of the harshest words I think Jesus actually even says. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Jesus' reaction shows us that Peter was placing comfort over obedience to the Father. Human entitlement over surrender. Selfishness over sacrifice. Now, when we're struggling, we want Peters in our lives. 
Like we want friends that tell us, yeah, that's too difficult. That is definitely too hard. You deserve a little love. You deserve a little pleasure. You deserve a little extra cash. But a godly friend will not always tell you what you want to hear. They won't just let you vent and complain about everything and everyone. They won't agree with your bad attitudes. They'll warn you about a bad decision. They'll discourage you from a bad relationship. A godly friend will point you towards the cross, a path of obedience to the one who is worthy of it all. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Now, don't get me wrong. A godly friend is not judgmental, pointing all the wrong, always just sending their opinions of everything that is wrong in your life. A godly friend is passionately committed to seeing more of Jesus in you. A godly friend is someone that you have let into your life to be a blessing, to point you to Jesus, to sharpen you, to be the hand of God, sometimes the voice of God speaking biblical wisdom into your problems and into your struggles. So as I close this morning, and I want to invite the worship team, please. Are you this friend? You have this friend in Jesus. This friend that loves you. This friend that is always looking out for your best. This friend that wants to give you the best advice. This friend that wants to influence your decisions. This friend that wants to be a part of every moment of your life. Jesus wants to be there in the bad moments. He wants to be there in the good moments. He wants to be there in the privacy of your room where you're crying, where you're struggling, where you're, you're sad, where you're desperate. And he wants to be there when you're celebrating. He wants to be there when you get married. He wants to be there on your birthday. He wants, he's the friend who wants to be on your guest list every single time. We have that friendship in Jesus. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus opens up the game with us. He exposes himself. He reveals himself and he says, I don't just call you servants now. I want to call you my friends. We were made for an intimate friendship with God and with one another. And so the first thing that I want to ask this morning as we enter a time of reflection and worship, do you have this friendship with Jesus? Where you can just drop the act. Where you don't have to be afraid of all those things you don't like about yourself where you don't have to be afraid of what he will think of you. He's already written a whole book to tell you what he thinks of you. He thinks you're wonderful and you're marvelously made. He thinks you're incredible so much that he gave his life for you, even when you rejected him, even when you didn't want anything to do with him. He loves you. Do you have this friendship with him, this intimate friendship with him? And if not, then I want to encourage you as we worship this morning, just say, here I am, God. I want to be your friend. I want to drop the act. Thank you for your forgiveness. And that in you, I can have freedom. Freedom of the guilt, freedom of the shame, freedom of the fear and the preoccupation and the worry that I live with day in and day out that nobody knows about. God, I just, I just want to be myself with you. 
Will you be my friend? Will you change me? Will you speak into my life? Will you protect me? Will you guide me? How's your friendship with Jesus? And secondly, how's your friendship with one another? I want to encourage you as you leave here this morning to be intentional in your friendships. Book a coffee. Book a beer. Go and have a face-to-face conversation with a friend where you can be exposed. Where maybe you don't just ask the question, hey, how are you? Busy. Ask the question, rate your week from 1 to 10 and tell me all about it. How's your spiritual walk with God? How's your marriage? How's your relationship with your spouse? How's your relationship with your kids? Tell me all about it. I want to show you grace and I want to be used by God to bring life into your situations. Be intentional. Now I just, I just want to warn against something. Because everything that is good in this life, we tend to twist it. And we tend to somehow make it bad. I just want to warn against these friendships that are so intimate, that are so amazing, that are so awesome, that all of a sudden we we twist it into something selfish. And we twist it into something exclusive. And we're throwing private jokes all over the place and you have this other person just kind of sitting there feeling completely rejected, completely left out. Friendships are not meant to be closed and to be selfish. The best kind of friendships are the ones that are intimate, but they're open. They're open to sharing their blessing with others. And so make sure that as you build these intimate friendships with the people in your life that God has placed, keep them as a blessing for those around you. Keep them as a place where other people find life as well. And lastly, if you have something against your brother, maybe you had one of these intimate friendships, maybe you had one of these amazing friendships, and the person was imperfect, and they failed you, and they hurt you, And now there's just damage there. When you look at that place of friendship where it used to be beautiful and it used to bring blessing and it used to bring life, now all you see is hurt and damage. The Bible says that when you come to God, leave your sacrifice, go and reconcile with your brother, go and reconcile with your sister and then come back. And so if that's you this morning, that you have some hurt that you need to take care of, you have some damaged relationships, some damaged friendships that you need to take care of, then I want to encourage you to ask God, what can I do about it? Is it that you need to forgive? Is it that you need to ask for forgiveness? But don't throw away an intimate relationship because that's that's what the enemy wants for you. Invest. Persist. Be faithful. Will you stand with me this morning? Dear God, we come to you and we, we just want to be ourselves in your presence. Because you see the depths of our hearts and you love us the same and you exemplify what true love and true friendship looks like. And God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as a close friend, that does not know you as a friend who knows all of us and loves us the same, then I pray that you will reveal yourself to them. 
I pray that they will open up their hearts, that they will drop the act, that they will confess their sin to you because the word says that you are just and you are faithful to forgive us. God, I pray that they will choose Jesus, that they will choose the cross, a path of obedience to a God who is worthy of it all. Lord, I pray for salvation in this room as people get to know that you are the best friend that anyone can have. And Lord, I pray for friendships with one another. I pray that today that you will build these friendships in our lives. Friendships that bring life to us. Friendships that counsel us. That bring us wisdom. That bring us comfort, God. Not in a selfish way, but in a way that allows me to worship you better. And to be more like Christ. I pray that we will be individuals who are committed to seeing more of you in others. God, we we don't want to live friendship the way the world does. We want to look at you, at your example, and we want to be that godly friend that is faithful, whose love forgives, whose love bears all things, whose love covers a multitude of sins. Help us be that friend. Help us be intentional in building those friendships that are so vital to our lives. And for all the unbelievers in our lives, God, I pray that we will be the godly friend that they need and they don't even know they need. I pray that through our friendship to our unbelieving friends, that they may come to know you because of the way that we love, the way that we forgive, the way that we are passionate and compassionate. Jesus, we love you and we want to worship you in your presence this morning. Amen.